Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I feel like this episode has been a long time coming. Kirby and I have been like manifesting this and have been like having it on our content plan. But this man is a very busy man. He's got lots to do, but we're so grateful he's taken time out of his very, very busy schedule to come onto Los Angeles. So welcome, Dr. Shaw. No, no, no. It's my my honor to be on with all of you. I've been listening for a long time, and we talked about this over a year ago, but it's finally happening. So I'm super excited to be here. Dr. Shaw, y'all, I mean, if you're not familiar, I don't know how you're not, but TikTok, 18 million followers. We were just talking prior to this. He definitely has notifications off. So if you're like trying to slide into his DMs and like <laughs> get a little action, get yeah, a little it's, action. it's not happening. He's not even looking because I don't know how you could possibly keep up with everything that he has to keep up with. But I know every brand is obsessed with him. Every brand I talk to is like, what do you think of Dr. Shaw? They all want to know. They all want to get on your good side. They all want to secretly hope you're going to mention a product of theirs. So you are the derm, the derm of derms. On social, on social, an educator, I would say. Dr. Shaw, I have a question. What was the first brand that you worked with or that reached out to work with you? First brand that reached out to me, I ended up turning down and it was a device company. I wasn't really big into devices at the time. And then the second brand that reached out to me was a brand I ended up working with. And it was actually the Inky List as the first brand that had reached out to me. Wow. Oh my God. Now I want to know the device, the drama. <laughs> uh, there's no drama. I mean, I'll be open. It was uh, it was Foreo. Oh, yes. They had come out with a c- couple new devices at the time, and it just didn't align with, you know, what I wanted to talk about. Sarah, see, we know what we're talking about. No shade to anyone that loves Foreo, but Foreo is just not something I personally subscribe to. And that's okay. But now I feel better that Dr. Shaw also was kind of like, eh, we're good. Validation. We love it. This was early on. This was when I didn't even know people were getting paid. I was just doing it for fun and as a creative outlet. So when I got my first like sponsorship opportunity, I was like, what? People are going to make, they're going to pay me to do this. Like, I love doing this. Like, I'll do it. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. But I had to like make sure it was something I would actually recommend. Growing up or like in high school or college, did you host things? Like you're such a good public speaker. No, actually, I have like terrible stage fright, in fact, and I had to really work through it. And there was actually a point where and there was a phase during my social media where I almost stopped doing any live events, any 
like live IGs, podcasts, any speaking events. And my accounts were ramping up at the time, but I started to really have bad performance anxiety around public speaking. And when you're in your own room and you can shoot four or five times the same video over and over again, or if you get nervous, you take a break. But when you're live and you're doing something with someone publicly, there was a point where I almost stopped doing that altogether because it got really, really bad. And then there was an app that came out that was called Clubhouse and you could do it without people seeing you. And it got me comfortable speaking again in front of people. And so I sort of fought my way through the stage fright. So no, I never had any experience until I started doing social media. Wow. Is Clubhouse even around anymore? That was the benefit of it. People not being able to see you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, people couldn't see me. I could just mute my mic if I got nervous. And I just kept doing it every night. And eventually I got comfortable talking again. But there was a point where I basically told everyone I'm not doing anything live anymore. I can't take it. It's stressful. I mean, we like do public speaking engagement things like all the time. But there was a a moment too for me where I was like, I can't do panels. Like, I feel like I would like fixate on something that I had said on a panel. And I was like, that was so stupid. Why did I say that? But like, no one else cares. You know what I mean? Nobody cares as much as you do. And you just have to work through it. And now I do these big panels, big rooms. And I'm always a little nervous before, but I can get through it. And I feel like I can actually communicate what I'm trying to say. Whereas if I get really nervous, I can't even get out the words that I wanted to say. Well, you would never know. You're like so good. Oh, thank you. I'm really curious about your platform and when it blew up. I would assume you don't go to 18 million followers on TikTok overnight or a million followers on Instagram overnight. Do you remember the point that you said, oh, shoot, like this is this is happening. I'm growing rapidly. Yeah. So I I wasn't like a big social media consumer, really, even at the time. And TikTok came. I started doing TikTok for fun, thinking that no one would see the videos that I would take them and send them to my friends on Instagram and all these things posted my stories. I never thought that people would actually watch my TikTok videos. And it was pandemic. It was May 2020. I posted my first TikTok video and it got a little bit of traction, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I just kept posting. And then there was a series of videos that I did because initially I wasn't actually even really talking about dermatology. I was wearing scrubs because I had just gotten out of work a lot of the time. So people recognized that I was a doctor and there wasn't a lot of doctors on social media at the time. And so people started asking me questions about their skin. And I made my first skincare video and it really got a lot of traction. It was maybe how to use a retinol or what the best retinols I recommended over the counter were. And then I started watching more and more TikToks. I'm like, why do people like this type of content? And I started seeing that there was a bunch of really bad trends. When TikTok first started, it was really the wild, wild west. It's gotten so much better since then. But when I first started, like it was pure chaos. It was ginger face masks. It was people cooking up things in their kitchen. And people have gotten much more knowledgeable since then. But I started seeing all this stuff and I'm like, we should be using this. Like I know from dermatology, we shouldn't be using this. Let me make some basic responses to these. And I made a series of videos that I called like the worst skincare trends I've seen on TikTok. And I would just like shake my head and be like, don't do this. And it went crazy viral. And it was three back-to-back videos and they all got like 10 million views. And then all of a sudden my account got a ton of traction. And I was like, well, this is kind of fun. And I was actually really nervous because at the time those videos got picked up by like Daily Mail and Fox News and they were looking for things to talk about. So they were featuring my TikTok on the news and having other derms comment on the video. And I was like, I hope they agree with me because it's going to get really awkward otherwise. So that was when I first realized like this is outside of TikTok. Like this is getting bigger than I intended it to be. But I actually had a really good mentor at the time because I was actually in my residency when I started doing TikTok. And the person who was training me, 
he saw my videos and he said, you really have a gift to reach a lot of people with your content. So he's like, you have to be honest, you have to be ethical, but I really think you should stick with this because what you could get in one video, it would take you your entire career to reach that many people in the office. So you should really take it seriously and just do it in an ethical and honest way. And so since then, I really buckled down and started taking it more seriously. I love that you really seem to maintain your sense of integrity, especially as you know, a doctor, number one, like do no harm and make sure that you're actually advocating for people. I I watched an interview you did with E! News and you said that, you know, it's easy for germs to say, get this product, get this ingredient to change your acne. But you obviously covered the fact that some people don't have access to dermatologists or they can't get into a dermatologist for six months to a year or they can't afford certain products. And so I think you're kind of democratizing it for people that are like, okay, I can't afford this, but Dr. Shaw said, get this product with niacinamide in it and I can go to the drugstore and pick it up. So I love what you're doing. You have such a good head on your shoulders and like seem like a genuinely good person. So Sarah and I are rooting for you. We adore you. No, it means a lot to me. Not that you need anyone else to root for you, but we're rooting for you. (laughs) We're one of the 18 million. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I want to win you all over because I think people see short form content and it doesn't have a lot of nuance. You don't really know where the person is coming from. When they're recommending a product, is it honest? Is it not? I think it's very difficult as a consumer or even as a skeptic or an enthusiast to know what's real and what's fake. And so to win you over would be my goal because I imagine you're a little more skeptical than the than the rest of people. We are a little more skeptical, but we have so much we want to cover with you because this is our Friday the 13th episode. We're going to get into some scary skincare. But before we dive into that, we want to know what is on your face. It doesn't have to be something you're currently wearing, but like, what are some products that you're really, really happy about or love recommending at the moment? Ooh, okay. So what's on my face? I thought you'd never ask. Actually, I knew you were going to ask this. That's why I have them with me. So I just recently went to Japan. I don't know what this brand is and I don't know what's in it, but I got this in a Japan store because it looked really cool. It's called Shiro the name of the brand and it's called the matcha scrub shampoo and it's like an exfoliating shampoo and i just love this thing first of all it's i don't use fragrance in my skincare products but this shampoo has got fragrance in it and it smells so good and it makes your hair feel so clean and i just love this product and i don't know where you can buy it i don't even know if you can buy it but it's awesome so that i use on my hair is it like a solid shampoo like because it's in a jar it's like a it's like a sugar scrub almost. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what's in it. Like I said, so if something bad happens, I don't say it came from me. I don't know what's in it. It's a scalp scrub. Yeah, scalp scrub. And I this is the first time I ever used a scalp scrub, but I love it. I highly recommend if you can find it if you travel to Japan. What else do I have? So I have the this is my tried, true, trusted. I'm always trying new sunscreens. You all are probably always trying new sunscreens. But this has been my go-to for the most part, and that's the Alta MD UV Restore tinted one, which obviously helps against the dark spots and all that. And so I've been loving that. And then last, I have the Paula's Choice Barrier Repair Advanced Moisturizer. I'm actually curious to know from both of you, is there a, like a category of product that you'll always try because it's like your favorite category? Because for me, that's moisturizers. I'll try almost any moisturizer that someone hands me. Oh, that's such a good question. Totally. And like, to be more specific, I love like a water cream moisturizer. Like that's just like my favorite like texture for me. So like always my skin's not super sensitive. So yeah, moisturizer is like a really big category for me. For me, it's actually for body. If I get sent a body serum, 
I will try it. It doesn't matter if it says body serum. I want to see if it's going to absorb quickly, if it's going to actually keep me moisturized or hydrated. I have probably like six in my bathroom right now because I just keep opening them and and testing them out. So if you send me a body serum, I'm probably going to try it. Okay, that's unexpected. I like that. Okay. I need some body serum recommendations from you then at some point. Is there a specific kind of moisturizer that you like? I'm a little bit dry combo, so I like a little bit of a heavier cream. But in the summer, I really do like the gel cream mixes. And so I kind of switch between a gel cream and a cream. And mostly in the winter, like around this time, my skin starts getting really, really dry, even though it's only fall right now. Or is it even fall? Yeah, it's fall. It doesn't feel like fall here in LA. It's like 80 degrees, but... Yeah, I'm in Miami right now. So it's like there's no seasons. It's just one season. But yeah, so it's so so usually like a heavier cream. I like that really dewy finish. And you like this Paula's Choice one? Yeah, this Paula's Choice one, their barrier repair. It's got, you know, fragrance-free. It's got a bunch of peptides, ceramides. Your skin feels soft. I think it's that emollient benefit. It just gives you that dewy finish. So I've been really loving it. Barrier repair. It's like in literally every single product (laughs) name right now. Yeah, it's what's trending. And I sort of hate that a little bit that it's trending now. And I think it's sort of a flip to the exfoliation that was going on, right? Like where people were just damaging their barrier. And now they're like, we got to repair the barrier. So now everything's focusing on barrier, but it's almost like a buzzword, which I think creates more confusion in the marketplace for people is like when everybody just slaps barrier repair on their moisturizer and it stops meaning something like it used to. And so I hate that things become trendy that are actually important for people who really have trouble with their skin. Dr. Shah, you're working with Dr. Bon Husali now, right? You're part working with his practice? That's right. So my trajectory was I had actually started a practice in Charlotte, grew it, rebranded. We did this whole thing. And then my family, we decided we didn't want to live in North Carolina anymore. And so looking for a new place to land, Dr. Bon Husali and I have been good friends for the beginning of my social media, three years talking like late nights. And we work on a lot of different projects together in the skincare tech space. We started working on this thing called Aesthetica Skin Lab, which is like a facial aesthetic spa where we create like these science-backed facials for people. And we were launching that in New York. And then I said, okay, why don't I just join you into practice that you've already built? If you've met him and you know him, he's just one of the best people in dermatology. And so, you know, he did Haley Beaver's Roadline, and he built a company called Skin Medicinals, which has been very helpful for dermatologists. And so he really is just a good guy. And so I just announced that I'll be joining him in his practice now. Woo, we love that. We love great minds coming together. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, such a powerhouse, literally. Power derms. Power derms, yes. We have complimenting skills. You know, he's <laughs> so it's good. It's good. You know, he's good at certain things. I'm good at certain things. And we really push each other to be better. And he's just somebody you can always bounce ideas off of. So it's it's really good. And hopefully our partnership continues to grow and continues to be successful. And if you're ever in New York, we're happy to take care of you if you come in town. Oh, my God. We got to go, Cripps. Done. Or you guys could also launch in L.A. That'd be great for us. We've thought we've thought about that one day. We've got to focus on the, the hub, the heart Fair. in New York until we can grow legs. Are there any celebrity skincare brands that you think are really great? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I look at the brand itself and the products that they're putting out more than the celebrity necessarily that's launching them. I think the industry in general is looking for brands that have a notable spokesperson. That's the reason the birth of these celebrity brands is they help to cut a little bit through the noise. So I understand why incubators 
And I understand why celebrities want to do this. It helps to cut a little bit through the noise. Now, it still has to get down to like, are the products good or are they not good? And are they going to be helpful or are they going to not be helpful? I think Rode, they've done a good job. You can tell that Haley is very passionate about skin, right? Like she's very passionate about the products that she's creating. She didn't just put her name on products. I think that Pharrell's line has actually been pretty good. They've had some innovation there as well. Human race. I don't think it gets enough credit for what's out there. I think Fenty did a rebrand on some of their skincare products. They put out like almost a second line that's actually been really nice as well. So I would definitely look at it like separate from the celebrity. Like, are the products good? Because I'm not, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm a dermatologist on social media. I'm not a person on social media that happens to be a dermatologist, right? So I'm representing my credentials on social media. So part of what comes with that is the restriction of, I can't just talk about everything I personally like. I have to talk about the things that I would actually recommend to people and my patients. And so part of that is like looking at what's actually in the product and not just do I like the packaging and do I like personally using it? Totally. We need all of you on there to debunk all those myths. But speaking about that, so there are a lot of you now, derms, on TikTok, on social media, which again, Kirby and I love, but a lot of derms are quitting their practices to become full-time content creators. How do you feel about that? Because you are still practicing. You're still seeing patients Maybe that's like something you've thought about like in the future, but what do you feel about like some of your counterparts doing this, like just full-time influencing? Yeah. So as soon as I graduated from residency, the next week I was working in clinic and usually people take a month break because their boards are at the end of the month to study. And I started right away working. I will never stop practicing dermatology clinically. I love practicing dermatology. It informs what I do when I create content. It's the reason I got on social media was because I wanted to educate people about what I was learning and seeing in the office. It keeps you super grounded. And I could talk a little bit more about that. But me personally, I love dermatology. And I don't know how common it is that derms are quitting entirely. I personally don't know anybody. But I kind of think of it like, is it appropriate or is it wrong to do that? And I don't know. Like, I can't speak for why those people are making those decisions. I have a lot of friends that are in medicine that are not dermatologists. And a lot of them want to leave medicine because they're really burnt out. The system is totally beating them up and they really never recovered since residency from that, from a mental health standpoint. And so they're looking for their way out. But you train for 12 years and so you don't have any transferable skills, really. Like you don't have any other skills other than doing what you trained for for 12 years. And so it's challenging. Like what do you do with that skill set to survive afterwards? And so before social media, I think a lot of doctors got into industry. They would work for pharmaceutical companies or they would go and do administrative or even lawyers who I know that don't practice law anymore right? But they ended up doing something else, starting a company or CPAs that ended up getting into finance, or they became the CFO of a company that's totally unrelated to their particular trade. So I think it's been going on in in many different ways, even before social media. And now social media has become the outlet for people to say, okay, maybe I don't want to practice clinically anymore. Now, I think these people, I mean, if there are a lot of people who are doing it, I think part of it is maybe they're making decisions for their family, Maybe they're burnt out. Maybe they don't like clinical medicine and they didn't figure it out until later on, but they do have 12 years of experience. They can speak knowledgeably about products and ingredients. They know how these things work with the skin. You know, I think it's still, they're going to give knowledgeable information. For me, like a lot of what informs what I talk about on social media, and I think you can also get a little bit lost in the world of social media where you start to think everyone thinks like you or lives like you. But then when you get into clinic, you have a patient who has to decide between their prescription and food, right? 
And so then that informs like your decision about how you're going to treat that patient, but it also informs how you talk about things to patients on social media. Are you going to recommend a $200 product on social media when you know that some people are going to really believe it's going to fix their skin and so they'll buy it and maybe it's not in their budget to buy it. And so for me, it keeps me super grounded and I love it. And if I had to choose between social media and clinical dermatology, I would do clinical dermatology every time. I love it. I love my patients. I love seeing them do better. So that's me. But I think I can understand why people would choose not to because really it is tough for doctors and people who train in healthcare that don't have transferable skills. And I think if you're a good scientific communicator and educator, then maybe social media is better for you than clinical practice. I love that response, Dr. Shaw. That just warmed my heart. Like you said, Sarah and I are also very in this and we talk about that a lot. You know, maybe things that we're constantly thinking about in terms of this industry may not be relevant to some of our listeners, some of you Glamgelinos that are listening right now. And you're thinking like, why would I buy this $68, whatever? I need something that's more along the lines of like 10 or $15. And that's why Sarah and I try to be really cognizant of like saying, we like this product. It works for us. It fits in your budget. Great. But if not, there are other great products that are not over $20. You know what I mean? So I love that you've kept your perspective on this. I think sometimes I see dermatologists talk on social media and it's almost like, if you can't abide by the regimen, then like stop listening to me almost. It feels very black and white. There's no wiggle room. There's no grace for people that are like, well, I'm trying the best I can. And and you put it so perfectly. If they're trying to pick between a prescription and food, they're going to pick food on the table every time, you know? So I just, I love that you keep that grounded perspective. It really warms my heart about the state of dermatology. Such a great answer. And I love too that you said, seeing your patients informs your content. Like, I don't know how anyone would be able to continue to create any content and speak from a place of like expertise or authority without seeing anyone and practicing on them. And I'm sure that like every day you're inspired to create something new or talk about something that you learn from your patients. Yeah. I mean, every day, I mean, it was the genesis of all my first videos I wasn't looking at trends. I wasn't looking at what people were talking about. It was a patient asked me this and how am I going to communicate it to them in the room? That's how I communicate it to my audience so everyone can understand it. That's how I've always taken my approach is like more of a general education for people around the world. And I think one of maybe the criticisms of the platform that I've built is that it really isn't made for other dermatologists to consume or other beauty enthusiasts necessarily like experts to consume because it really is where I'm trying to meet where I think the average person is with their skin. And we definitely on YouTube go into deep dives and ingredient breakdowns and like the molecular level of the skin. But really on TikTok and Instagram, I'm really trying to communicate to the average person that simply wants better skin and wants to cut through all the noise. And so I think maybe one of the criticisms is that I don't have as much nuance as maybe I should. We talk about this all the time. Like we're so in this bubble where we think that everyone knows everything about beauty. But when you step outside, you're like, oh, no, actually, it's like so insider baseball, what we're doing here. People just want to know, like, what's hyaluronic acid? Do I need that in my skincare routine? You know, but I do think that like, because the younger generation is so dialed into TikTok and skincare, like I tell Kirby all the time, my nieces are like so much more informed about their skincare routines than I ever was, which is great and also scary. <laughs> but I don't know if you have younger patients, but do you feel like they're more educated about what they should be doing versus like our generation? 
Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And you, you both are definitely younger than me, but my generation was a lost generation. Are we? I don't think so. I think so, for sure. Um, for sure. We love to hear it. <laughs> but definitely, I definitely think that the younger generation is getting a lot more both good information and maybe some bad information, but definitely more good information than ever before. When I was growing up, there was this thing called Planet Fitness, like basically all you can eat tanning. Like you could get a pass to go tanning every day at Planet Fitness. And there was a big sign on the door that said, tanning is good for your skin. And I genuinely thought <laughs> that it was going to make my acne better, that it was going to make my skin better. And I went tanning every day. I went like a hundred times when I was in high school. And I genuinely did not know that it was bad for your skin. Genuinely. I can tell you that now, if you see one video on TikTok where someone's in a tanning booth and they post a video, there's going to be hundreds of tags for me and other <laughs> dermatologists to basically eat this person up, right? Because they know, the public knows now more than ever that these things are not good for the skin. And that education certainly wasn't there before. And we have like, we have kids in high school and younger volunteering to wear sunscreen because they're telling their parents you should be wearing sunscreen. There was a Melanoma Research Foundation. They gave me like their inaugural influencer award. And it is sort of in some ways embarrassing because the other guy who got an award that day had won the Nobel Prize. So I had to <laughs> present before him and I had to say, yeah, I make TikTok videos and this guy won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> and so I asked the committee, why did you select me for this prize? It's like a, you know, it's a big deal. Right? It was in Cipriani in New York. And they were like, you know what? Actually, there was our children. There was one person on the committee specifically said that she'd always told her, her son to wear sunscreen and that he never wanted to wear it. And then he one day came home and said, I'm putting on sunscreen before I go out. And she goes, you never want to wear sunscreen. Why do you want to wear sunscreen? She's part of the melanoma committee. So she's like always telling them to wear sunscreen. And he's like, well, this guy on Dr. Shaw on TikTok said that you got to wear sunscreen. And so like, you know, I lose points if I don't wear sunscreen. So I'm going to wear sunscreen. And so now we're breaking through to this generation and they have better habits than ever before. So I think it's super cool what people have done on social media with the education. Agreed. And don't worry, I was right there with you, Dr. Shaw, born and raised in Texas, went to the tanning salon, had the little Playboy bunny sticker on my hip bone, <laughs> trying to be like Britney Spears, literally wearing like juicy couture, like zip ups to go and like undress quickly. I worked at a tanning salon and literally you're so right. We were taught that if you had acne, hop in a tanning bed, hop in a tanning bed, it'll disappear, it'll dry it all out. That was literally what we were taught. And then like literally, I think two years later, I learned, oh, crap, UV damage is real. That's that's actually a terrible thing. hundred percent. And I actually got skin cancer and I'm, you know, I'm South Asian descent. Nobody gets skin cancer. Not nobody, but it's less common for sure. And I got a skin cancer at 31 and was hundred percent from tanning booths. hundred percent. There's just no other way. Oh my gosh. Where? On my chest. It was a basal cell skin cancer. We removed it. I found it myself. And you know, then I was like, we should probably look at this and biopsied it, came back basal cell skin cancer, removed it. All is good. Wow. Okay. I'm so glad to hear that. But also awesome that you detected it yourself. You're like, hey, I think I need to look into that. Love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. So melanoma is extremely scary, but there's also a lot of scary things happening especially in the world of TikTok. We've talked about there's no nuance on TikTok and people are constantly posting things just to get views and engagement. So in honor of Friday the 15th, uh, Friday the 13th, <laughs> let's talk about scary social media trends. 
I feel like I'm constantly seeing videos about filler migration, Dr. Shaw, where someone is like this close to a camera going, you have filler migration and here's how you can tell. And then literally I'm getting texts from my girlfriends. I'm getting DMs from people going, can you look at this picture? Do I have filler migration? What does this mean? Tell me how you feel about filler migration. How can you tell if it's even happening to you? Is it that like prevalent? Yeah. I mean, I think filler migration probably is so common that it's actually underreported in the literature because you're injecting something into the skin. There are certain boundaries within the skin, certain ligaments, certain compartments that keep things within certain parts of the face. But by and large, like these things have the ability to move. And part of that is going to be gravity. You moving your face throughout the day is going to allow these things to move. Whether you're massaging your face, whether you're using any lymphatic techniques, these things are going to move the product around with time. Now, most of the time it does stay in its intended location. I find a lot of times I see a little bit of migration around the lips and around the eyes where people, you can tell it moved a little bit further from where it was initially injected. Now, dermal filler complications are, you know, they a lot of people get complications from dermal fillers in general. Really? Yeah. And I don't know that it's any different than before, but I feel like it's becoming less popular. You know, there's a lot of celebrities who have now dissolved their dermal fillers. There's a lot of them who've talked about how they didn't like the way that it changed their face and the way that dermal filler complications work. And there are many types of dermal fillers, the most common being injecting hyaluronic acid into the skin is that you can have an early complication where like immediately it's a bad outcome. And then one that comes on later. And one of the later complications would be filler migration that happens much later so initially just bruising you can get infections you can get nodules underneath the skin and probably the most feared complication of filler is that you inject a vessel inadvertently Mm -hmm. they inject the vessel that actually causes necrosis of the skin because the blood vessel isn't able to provide blood to the face or it ends up going retrograde and actually causing blindness now it's super uncommon but those are probably the two most feared complication is skin necrosis and blindness. But those things happen immediately. You'll have pain immediately after the procedure, or you'll have trouble with your vision immediately after the procedure. So that's why going to see someone that definitely knows what they're doing and can reverse those complications has an ophthalmologist on call to reverse those complications if it gets behind the eye is super, super important. Now, migration is more of a cosmetic thing where it moves further than its intended area. And we used to always say that filler was gone in six months to a year. And there's good evidence to suggest that that's not true, especially in certain areas of the face, especially in the mid face, like the cheeks, the lower face, it maybe dissolves as we expected. There's a, he's not a dermatologist, but he's like a radiologist, aesthetic doctor in Australia. His name is Mobine Master, and you can look him up on his different platforms. But he's actually done a lot of studies with MRI imaging of the face to show that filler actually stays much longer up to maybe four years after injection it's still there in a lot of cases in the mid face. And so every time you get injected and it's building and building and building, you can start to look more and more distorted with time, especially if your injector is not keeping a close eye on how you look, whether or not you're symmetrical and whether or not you actually look normal anymore. With filler, personally, I like for people to look like their natural selves to sort of enhance natural beauty. And the way that I like to use filler specifically is that with time, you start to lose bone volume in the face, your fat compartments start to move in the direction of gravity. And so using a small amount of filler to replace lost volume so that you look more like your natural, more youthful self can look nice. Now, I've migrated more and more to just aesthetic procedures that 
like lasers that help to rejuvenate the skin and give you a healthier look. And so I'm doing less and less filler. And I think that's just less demand for my patients in general. So filler does have complications, but if done right, it can look really good. Do you feel like you're seeing less patients ask for filler as well? Because I feel like there is like a lot of education now, or maybe now like people are scared because of all of these and the migration, all of these other things. Like I feel like I'm seeing more and more people and, you know, Kirby too, like celebrities, obviously influencers who are stepping away from that. Are you seeing that with your patients as well? Yeah, I think right now, like at this moment, snapshot in time, if you look at it, like from a global trends market, I actually think filler and Botox and things like that are actually on the major upswing right now. But in my own personal experience, and I don't know if it's just a subsect of the population, I see less people asking for filler. I still get a lot of people asking for filler in the lips. But a lot of people who come to me, they want me sort of to tell them what to do. So they're not oftentimes requesting things. They say, these are my issues. Come up with a plan that can help me fix those issues. So a lot of times they don't come in with this idea of, I want filler and put the filler here type of thing. But I think lips, like lips went through a phase where like everyone was getting their lips done with filler. And and I think it's it's definitely plateaued for sure with filler in the lips. So I, I've personally been seeing a little bit less of it. I think the global markets have seen an uptick. So I think just in general, more people perform the procedures than ever before. So I think maybe that's the reason why. Okay. This is a hot topic. Hot, scary topic. <laughs> The bed bugs. The bed bugs have taken over Paris and who knows where else because everyone's coming back from Fashion Week. How can you tell if you got bit by a bed bug? It's almost a mystery sometimes what bit you. That's the game we some have to play in the dermatology office because we have the symptom. We don't have the source, right? A lot of times the bug is not on you anymore, right? So you have to try to guess what caused it. I've done a video on TikTok and I'll probably repost it to Instagram now that you remind me because... There certainly is a need for it right now for people to know what to do for for bed bugs. But the classic thing in, in dermatology, the classic teaching that we learn, bed bugs often do what we call the breakfast, lunch, dinner sign, which is they bite you three times in a row. So what you'll actually see instead of one bump, one bite that's itchy, it's actually three bites that are itchy in a row. And so it leaves almost like a little bit of a trail. And that would be like the key classic sign of a bed bug bite. Now, they don't read the textbook, so they're not necessarily going to bite you three times, but that's what we classically see in the office. Oh my gosh. Okay. I was in London and then Paris and then Fashion Week happened. And and then we came home and then all of a sudden it was like bed bugs, bugs rampant on the trains. And I'm like, you've got to be effing kidding me. And so Patrick and I were like stripping everything. I flew directly to Texas to visit my family and go to my friend's wedding. I'm literally like, am I just taking bed bugs with me everywhere? And then this week I was looking at my ankle and I'm like, do I have bed bug bites? Like, did I bring bed bugs to Texas? They were mosquitoes. We figured it out. They were mosquitoes. They were just like nipping at my ankles while I was sitting on the porch. But the sheer amount of bed bugs that people were filming on the trains, that is an infestation where you can literally just see them crawling around like what that is so gross this makes me itchy (laughs) it's disgusting please repost that video so that we can all watch it dr shaw yeah no this is one of my biggest fears is getting bed bugs and bringing them home (laughs) with me i i'll tell you what i do for those who are listening so this is what you do you get in the hotel room And you have to look at the crevices of all the corners of the bed. So you got to lift the bed sheets off and you got to look at the mattress and see if you see 
the bugs or the droppings of the bugs. So there'll be like little brown droppings that you can see. And sometimes they kind of smear like a brown streak almost, even though they're really tiny. Now, if you don't see anything there, that's the best bet that you have. Now you got to keep the suitcases far away from the bed as possible. So sometimes near the entrance, if they have like one of those little dolly thingies that you can put them on, put the suitcases separate from everything else. And then I put your clothes in Ziploc bags. Don't leave them around the rooms because a lot of times they latch on, then they end up in your suitcase, then they end up in your house. And then once you get home, keep your suitcase separate from your bedroom. If you have space, depending on where you live, keep it somewhere separate so that it doesn't infest your stuff. I just saw all of my friends come back from fashion week and their suitcases. It's like in their shower or something. You need to like close it off for three days or something like that. I do want to ask about mosquitoes, though, because I am so allergic to them and there have been like so many mosquitoes lately. It's so crazy. Do any of the gadgets actually work to help with the like itching and biting? Like, you know, like that little zapper that heats up and like kind of hurts. Do those actually work? Like, what do you recommend when you get bit by a mosquito? Yeah, there's like these suction devices and all these things that are out there. I have them all. Usually, I tell people not to do anything unless it really is bothering you. They're probably the most effective thing to do is to do something that's like an anti-itch. So you can use like calamine lotion. There is topical steroid. I, I think it's always risky on social media without any nuance to recommend a topical steroid, but hydrocortisone or something stronger for people that have really bad itchy bites that come into my office, I'll tell them to use a topical steroid for a week and then stop on those areas. And so... Not recommended for everybody, but it does take down the itch probably better than anything else that's out there. Sad to hear those gadgets don't work. I have a derm friend who swears by him. So oh, okay. that, he, he actually bought one from Amazon. So he's a big fan. Kirby, it's like, I don't know in your relationship, but it's like, I'm the one that everyone attacks and then they leave Matt. Like he doesn't ever get bit. I barely ever get bit. It has to do with like your carbon dioxide output or something like this. Like, cause I get chewed alive anytime there's mosquitoes. I, I like if I'm outside for two seconds, I'm like, there's mosquitoes. We're leaving. And it has something to do with like your body temperature and your carbon dioxide output or something like that. Oh, interesting. Well, I just say that Sarah's sweet and that's why they're attacking her. Dr. Shaw and I are so sweet. The sweetest. So, okay, this is my personal, I, I cannot wait to ask you this question because I went, like I said, went to Paris and of course you see online, go to Paris, go to the pharmacy, pick up A313, get A313, it is life-changing. So I pick it up, I ask for it by name, they have to go behind you know, the counter to get it and my pharmacist was like, I will not sell this to you if you put this on your face. And... For those of you who are not familiar with A313, it is being touted as a very effective retinol, essentially, online, okay? So I had to tell this woman with my fingers crossed that I wouldn't put it on my face, but she said that the French do not use this as a retinol for their facial skin, neck, or chest. They use it on thick parts of their body, like their elbows, their knees, their feet, to exfoliate dead skin. And I found that really surprising because everybody that I know, dermatologists, estheticians I've talked to, have said, no, like, this is to be used on the face. So... Can you tell us exactly what A313 is, how, in your professional opinion, it can and should be used, and what we need to be careful about when it comes to utilizing it? Good question. Yeah. So when I went to France, 
everyone said, you got to get this product. And they actually don't sell it. Like, right. You have to go talk to the pharmacist, at least where I went, right? Is that same thing with you, Kirby? Yep. Yeah. So you have to go ask them for it and then they give it to you reluctantly. And it's not too expensive. So I bought it. I actually haven't used it, to be honest. And I probably should try it myself before making any comments. But it has retinal palmitate in it, which is a form of retinoid. So retinoid is a family of vitamin A derivatives. Within this family are many things. Your retinols, your retinaldehydes, your retinal palmitates, tretinoin, adapalene desertine. There are a bunch of them. And retinal palmitate, theoretically, people assume it should be less irritating, less effective because it needs to be converted so many times before it becomes active. Retinol needs to be converted twice. Retinaldehyde needs to be converted once. And retinal palmitate needs to be converted like three or four times before it becomes active. And the concentration in this formula is also a little bit a little bit difficult to decipher it. I've seen multiple different calculations of this. Is it 0.1%? Does it end up being the equivalent of 0.1% retinol? Does it end up being less? Does it end up being more? I think overall, the French have said that this really helps with the anti-aging properties. And retinol palmitate in general, the ingredient has been shown to help with anti-aging, fine lines, wrinkles, collagen production, all these things. So we know that it does have some anti-aging benefits. Now, why do some people find it more irritating than an equivalent dose of retinol? I think part of that is that you can't always just look at an ingredient list and know how a product is going to perform because there are things that help to increase its penetration into the skin in the formula. If it's a really heavy formula like A313 is, which is more of like petrolatum, like a Vaseline sort of product, because it has a little bit more occlusion, does it increase the penetration of the retinal palmitate into the skin more than it would otherwise? And so it's so difficult to know when you're just reading ingredient lists how a product's actually going to perform. I think you can certainly use it on the face, barring irritation. It's one of those things where Dr. Maxfield, who I do YouTube with, always says in skincare, there are no rules necessarily. So given that there are no rules in skincare, I think there are some rules, but he differs from me. Totally. He's a little bit more laissez-faire, we say. But you can certainly use it on the face and it would have those anti-aging benefits. And I think it probably, from people I've talked to and just reviews in general, seems to be more effective or more effective than the ingredient concentration would assume. So I think you can use it on the face as long as you like that like greasier feel. It's so funny because Susan Yara, when I posted about it, the division in my comments were, oh, I love this. This completely transformed my skin to, I hate this stuff. This doesn't work. Or I hate this stuff. It was too aggressive for me. Susan hates it. She's like, this is gross. It doesn't even work properly. Like, I'm going to make a video on why I hate A313. And I'm like, dying. I'm like, okay, you, you go do that, girl. But then other people were like, no, look at my before and afters. And so I just, I found it so interesting that it was such a divisive product. And even some estheticians had told me, oh, you know, if it's too aggressive, use it as short contact therapy. So like put it on your face or like a mask for five. Do you think that is effective or helpful or what would you suggest? Yeah, there's good evidence for people who can't tolerate retinoids that short contact therapy, like using it for a few hours and washing it off can still give you the effect of a retinoid. I think there are so many retinoid alternatives out there, not retinoid alternatives, but different forms of retinol that you could potentially tolerate. You probably shouldn't have to do the heavy lifting of trying to make A313 work for you. And also it's like a difficult thing to wash off from my understanding. So like, I don't like the feeling of like slugging, washing your face the next day or trying to remove is always a little bit challenging, right? So I don't know that I would love like scrubbing my face off after applying A313 just so I can have short contact therapy. I I don't know if I'd recommend that. Okay. 
moving on to some more scary things. You talk about this all the time, obviously, on your platforms. But if you could name one thing, one scary trend that you're seeing right now, what would it be? Right now, it's been pretty quiet, I would say. The worst trend I've ever seen on TikTok was when people were giving themselves freckles by like burning their skin with these like plasma pens. So they would like burn the skin and like create this like freckling effect. People are doing like henna, henna for freckles and black henna for freckles and then washing them off. And even people are doing like makeup techniques that give you freckles as well. But at one point they were burning the skin to create freckles and we saw some really bad complications with that. It's been quiet. It won't be quiet forever. I'll let you know next time something (laughs) is going off. We like quiet, but then you're like bored. You're like, what am I going to talk about? You're bored, right? Like, what am I going to make content about? <laughs> the, the less crazy they get, the less content I have to make. Someone will do something crazy. Probably right now. After this, we'll check TikTok and someone's doing something crazy. Okay, Dr. Shaw, final question before we get into our last little segment with you. But what is the most common question you get asked by your patients that you are starting to see a continual trend of? I think probably... People just want simple routines to make their skin better. I still think that that's like really the crux of it all. I don't think people want anything crazy, really. Like people just say, hey, like I have this particular issue, whether it's dark circles or large pores or my skin just looks crepey. And can you help me with the routine or a set of treatments that are going to improve this issue? It's pretty black and white with people coming to the office. They usually have a particular concern and they want it to get better. And then they just ask me, like, how can I get it better? And I always am recommending like three or four step skincare routines. And maybe I'll recommend a procedure, a laser, microneedling, radiofrequency microneedling to help supplement that. I saw a girl do her skincare routine on Instagram this morning. And it was like, serum, another serum, another serum. I was like, wow, this feels almost wrong. Because now my routine is maybe one or two serums max. And a lot of different actives too. Like this is for pigmentation and then this one does this. Was it like a really young person with, that was super rich? No, okay. There's a... She is super rich. I will say that. She's extremely loaded and she was using a ton of Jan Marini, which I love Jan Marini products. But like, I was shocked at the sheer amount of serums that she was putting on her face at one time. Like it was bonkers to me. It just felt so foreign. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it, that was super popular for a while, the 10, 12 step beauty routine. I think skinimalism, you know, wave is in and, you know, who knows how long that'll last. I hope it lasts a very long time. But, uh, I just saw a video very similar where this very much younger girl had like hundreds of serums. And I'm like, how do you even afford this? This routine's like $2,000. Like the reason why I said I could tell she had a lot of money was like her background was like this colossal bathroom. So I'm like, okay, she's she's doing this somewhere. And I think she also was like picking up her Lamborghini that day or something like that too. So I think that was part of the get ready with me story. But she also used like hypochlorous acid and vitamin C together, which like cancel each other out. So I just like left a comment like, hey, you know, <laughs> separate those a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. She's like going back to just doing what I want. Thanks. (laughs) Okay. Dr. Shaw, let's, let's wrap things up. We know you're a busy man. So you have a lot more going on than just speaking to the two of us today, but we have adored our time with you. We have to do a part two. Should we just keep talking for an hour? Cause we could, we have so many more questions. (laughs) We really could, but we wanted to ask you as a dermatologist, what are some things 
that you would never do? Never do. Okay. Tip number one, don't wear shoes in your house or in other people's houses. I never did it growing up, but I know some people do it. You're dragging in bacteria. They've tested this bacteria, fungus all over your floors. And that's how people get these feet infections. They get fungus underneath their toenails and they get foot fungus. And yes, just don't do that. That's number one. Number two, I would say if you're getting your nails done, like make sure they don't cut your cuticles. I see a lot of nail infections, paronychia from people getting their their cuticles cut too short. And then last, because we were talking about it earlier, tanning beds. Tanning beds are probably the worst thing you can do for your skin by far. Bam, bam, bam. Keep those shoes off. No Russian manicures. And please stay out of not only the sun, but those little hot beds of death. I think they should bring back the stickers, though. The stickers was a was a vibe that maybe needs to be <laughs> brought back to life. I'm going to find a little Playboy Bunny sticker. And when I do my self-tan next week, I'm just going to have like a little Playboy on my hip. I thought it was so cool. It could be like the ones that tell you have to reapply your sunscreen. Let's flip it. Let's flip the narrative on those. Let's flip it. Love. New trend alert. Dr. Shaw, you're the best. We adore you. You're going to have to come back. We hope to see you soon. Next time you're in LA, please let us know so we can... Go to lunch, dinner, drink, something. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I would love to do that. And if you're ever in New York, offer stands, check out the office, check out the lab. Um, It'll be just a fun experience. And we'll go out. We'll have a good time. Yeah. And you can tell us what's wrong with our faces. Oh, yeah. Nothing. I can tell. I can see you both. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Shaw. All right. That's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts, I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.